0: You probably all have heard the name Malcolm Muggeridge, uh, who passed away in 1990. Uh, He was a British journalist and kind of tended to be a critic um, who developed a reputation for taking on the government, taking on the royal family, taking on international politics and Christians and the church. And he was one of those guys that no one would have ever thought would become a Christian in his life. But one day he was out in Israel with the British Broadcasting System, and he was filming a project, a documentary on the New Testament there, and he was walking down the Emmaus Road as he was doing some filming for that, and he said as he was walking on that road, he said Christ met him. He became real to him at that moment. And uh, he became a Christian and actually wrote this book, Jesus Rediscovered, uh, towards the end of his life, and uh, shared about how God was at work in his life and changing him. This last week, on Wednesday, we had our, our Macedonian ministry meeting that we have every month, and uh, I was reminded while I was there of uh, a vision that Dwight L. Moody had, um, and in that vision, he saw people that were drowning. There was a storm at sea, and there were people drowning. And then there was also on the shore a deck, and there were people on the deck that were trying to throw out lifelines and and, and save people. And as he was watching that, uh, people were being rescued, but as soon as they'd get rescued, they'd get preoccupied with other good things. And pretty soon, the people over here being... Uh, that. Were, were drowning, were not getting rescued anymore because as they were rescued, they were over here facing that other direction, worried about all these other things and taking care of pre- being preoccupied with a lot of other good things. And while they were doing all those good things, they believed that Jesus was with them because they were doing all those good things that Christians do. But Jesus was actually over here in the troubled waters with the drowning people as they were calling out and screaming for others to come and rescue them. It's easy for us to get distracted as Christians uh, by good Christian activities and lose sight of those who really need to know Jesus. And, you know, the urgency of that kind of a vision that Dwight L. Moody shared Um, that can cause us to kind of lose some of the tact and all of that that we need. And uh, the, the text I want to look at this morning is that text from Luke chapter 24 where Jesus walks the Emmaus road with two disciples who are distraught after his crucifixion. And Jesus demonstrates in that text How that you and I can work with people and lead them to um, a point of recognizing their need for him. Jesus catches up with these two followers of him on the road to Emmaus. They were people that had hoped that Jesus would be the Messiah, the one who would come and redeem Israel. But their hopes were dashed as they watched him crucified. And in a sense, they were the ones that were drowning at this point in their lives. They were trying to figure out how to make any sense out of their lives. And so we're going to watch what Jesus does as he works with those two people on the Emmaus Road. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, the first couple verses says this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other, about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So these are two people that knew Jesus well. They had been uh, following him. They were not disciples, but they'd been following Jesus. One of them, we know his name is Cleopas. The other one, we are given his name. And Partly because of that fact alone, uh, we, we think this other person may have been a woman and, and may have been Cleopas's wife. Uh, if you go over to John chapter 19 verse 25, uh, there's reason to believe that uh, his wife's name was Mary and that uh, Mary was the one who was at the cross watching Jesus crucified. And so if, if that is the case, if it was Cleopas and his wife Mary, um, and they were leaving after the Sabbath day, and they were on their way back home to Emmaus. And notice that it's a seven-mile walk. Uh, some would say eight, but somewhere in between there. So just put yourself in their shoes, and they're walking from Johnson Corners to Keene. And they don't think a thing about it because that is life every day. If you're going to uh, live in that culture and in that day, they, they wait um, and they start this walk, this seven mile walk. And, and uh, they're discussing all of the events of the last couple days. And they've watched Jesus being arrested and they've watched him being um, beat up. They've watched him carry his cross. They've watched him underneath the cross. they watched him spear him. They've watched all of that kind of stuff. They've watched the nails in his hands and and all of that. They've been walking down this road discussing all of that. And now they're, we think, going back home to Emmaus. And the reason they waited was because as good Jews, they couldn't walk that far on the Sabbath. They were not allowed to. They had a a limited number of steps they could take on the Sabbath. And every good Jew kept track of every step they took because they couldn't go beyond those. And so going back from Jerusalem to Emmaus was not something you could do on the Sabbath day. So they waited till Sunday morning to leave and to go home to Emmaus. But the images of the cross is what's stuck in their minds. And Jesus comes along beside them and starts talking to them, but they don't recognize him because you know what they remember is the gruesomeness of Christ on the cross. And here they have a resurrected and glorified form of Jesus standing beside them, walking with them, and the Holy Spirit kept them from recognizing him. Now I want you to stop and think also about this. They were taking a trip, a seven-mile trip, walking. Jesus, in order to reach out to them to make a difference in their life, engages in that same trip. He intentionally decides, I'm going to walk with you these seven miles. And he comes right along and starts walking with them. And if you and I are going to be intentional, if we're going to be involved, if we're going to have any ability to be effective at reaching other people for Christ, that does mean that sometimes we go out of our way. We take some out of the, out of the normal paths, some trips um, that we maybe wouldn't take. And Jesus joins them. And instead of asking them to come to him and join him and what he was doing, he joined them in what they were doing and joined them in where they were going. He doesn't ask them to shift their attention or their conversation or anything else. He jumps into the conversation they are already having. And what he does there is so different from sometimes the way we do outreach. Because a lot of times when we try to share our faith, it comes across like a salesman trying to sell us something we don't want. And Jesus never approached evangelism or outreach that way. He never approached it as though he was a salesman selling people something they didn't want and he just had to get it to them. He was always giving them, offering to them something that he knew they wanted. They may not know it yet, but he knew it. And so we need to start with people where they're at instead of starting with where we are at. We need to find out the journey that they are on and what they're discussing and their conversation and all of that. They need to know how much we care about them if we're ever going to have an open door to share our faith with them. And the text goes on and says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood... Um, Still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, What things? That question, what are you discussing together, catches them off guard. How could anyone be in Jerusalem and not know what was going on? How could they not know? How could he not know what they were discussing? Everyone was talking about Jesus and his, his crucifixion. Jesus simply asked him. He doesn't even respond to their question. How could you not know this? He simply asked him again, what are you talking about? He doesn't move them to his conversation. He stays right with them in their conversation. The Moody gave a quote. He said, if you prove to a man that you love him, it is then that you have won him. And the test goes on about Jesus of Nazareth. They said, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Don't you find it interesting that these two people that had been following Jesus and were so interested in Jesus and so hopeful that he would be the Messiah, even when they hear a rumor that he is alive, they don't even stay around on Sunday morning long enough to really check it out because they've got things to do and they head back home to Emmaus because they really simply don't believe it. But they begin to share their story with Jesus. Jesus. And everyone has a story to share. They describe how they had interacted with Jesus, and, they, and they, they had a lot to share. They talked about how Jesus had been a powerful prophet in both word and deed. You know, I don't know if what they shared. I don't know if they had been there and they shared about Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discord uh, discourse. I don't know if they talked which miracles they talked about. But they went through and they just talked about following Jesus and all the ways that he was so powerful in both what he said and in what he did. And so they said he was a powerful prophet. But he said they, they said to Jesus, they said, our religious leaders, they just wanted to crucify him and they finally arranged it and they made it happen. And, and then they said that they had lost hope. Because they expected that Jesus would be the Messiah who was going to tear apart Israel from Rome and destroy Rome and Israel would be its own sovereign nation again and that that Jesus would redeem Israel. And then they said, and we've heard this rumor. And notice how they said, I don't see this anywhere else in the scriptures. Everywhere else in the resurrection accounts, the angels just come and they appear to the women, and the angels speak to them. But notice how Cleopas words this. Cleopas says, we had some women who had a vision of angels. (laughs) Not like the angels actually came. They just had a vision. Their, Their doubt level is so high that they just can't really believe these women. And you remember that from reading in John and other places where when the women came back, they just thought, oh, crazy women, what have you dreamed up now? You know, they just simply didn't believe them. But but here's Cleobas as he shares the story and, and he says, these women, they had a vision. The angels didn't actually come, but they had a vision of angels. And, and so the, he shares that story and he says, there's a rumor out there that he is alive, but nobody has seen him. They didn't see him, they just have the, they're just sharing this rumor. Well, if this other person, if this other person with Cleopas was indeed Cleopas's wife, Mary, Mary had witnessed everything underneath the cross, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. For her to watch Jesus, as he hung there on the cross, as he breathed out his last breath, as it was pierced in the side and blood flowed down his side, as she watched all of that, she knew that Jesus was indeed dead and it was over. There was no hope. They simply didn't believe the reports enough to even stay around to check them out and they took off for home in Emmaus. They misunderstood the whole purpose of redemption. They misunderstood the whole purpose of Jesus coming to save them. They thought it was for Jesus to come as a political Messiah and deliver Israel from the Romans. But indeed, Jesus was to come to deliver the world from sin. And instead of delivering the world through a military conquest, it was to deliver the world through death and through resurrection. Now it's interesting. It's easy for us. and We hear that. And we know that fact so well. We've heard it many, many times in our life. How, how even the Jewish believers. And even the disciples misunderstood the reason Jesus came. They'd been in the Old Testament their whole lives. They had read it. And all of that. And yet. Their own culture and their own perspective clouded the way they looked at the scriptures. I want to suggest to you that they're not alone. Your experiences, your environment, your culture clouds the way you view the Old Testament and the New Testament. And sometimes you and I miss the most incredible things that should be right there in plain view for us when we read the scriptures, because we read the scriptures in light of our own experience and in light of the way our parents understood the scriptures and in light of the way we've been taught at church and in light of all of those different things. And sometimes you and I miss the scriptures because we know them (laughs) from our own slant. Those people... They knew the scriptures. Cleopas knew the scriptures. Mary knew the scriptures. The disciples knew the scriptures. And yet they did not understand. And sometimes you and I misunderstand Jesus and his purpose in our life also. I know, for instance, I want Jesus to take away some of my problems and some of my issues. But Jesus really wants to come alongside in the midst of my problems and in the midst of my issues and be with me. And teach me that he will never leave me nor forsake me in the midst of what I'm going through. Now, most everyone has a story. They've had a story about Jesus or about the church or about Christians or about um, their interaction with Jesus, with all of that kind of stuff. And most people that we are trying to reach have had a negative interaction of some sort or another that sticks up here and it clouds everything else when you start talking to them about faith in Christ one of the things that we need to understand sometimes and very simple but we need to understand it is that most often before people ever come to faith in Christ they need someone who will listen to their negative experiences about the church, and about Jesus, and about Christians in general. Most all of you have had some negative church experience. So you've been a Christian, if you've been in the church for very long, you've had some negative experiences, right? You have. Trust me, people outside the church have had those experiences too. And they need that opportunity for someone with a listening, non-judgmental ear to listen to them, to hear. And once, a lot of times, they can just share that and um, get that out. Then they can start to open up to the possibility of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, these are people that have been followers and disciples. And it's easier for him to say that. We wouldn't walk up to somebody we're trying to lead to Christ and say, how foolish and stupid you are. <laughs> Probably wouldn't work very well. But Jesus is able to do that with with people that are almost like relatives uh, to him. Not that you should say that to relatives either. Um Jesus says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus then begins to explain and he begins to make sense of things all the way from the whole of the Old Testament He explained why the Messiah needed to suffer and to die and to rise from the dead and to ascend into heaven. There's times when you and I, we just need to take and and take the time to explain things to people and, and let them digest it. And on that seven mile trip to Emmaus, There was plenty of time for just conversation and dialogue and discussion and all of that. And sometimes you and I, we just were so mission driven. And so, you know, we just want to be able to talk to somebody, lay it down and have them respond. And we're done. But Jesus doesn't do that. You watch Jesus as he relates to people. The Samaritan woman, that was just not a sermon and an altar call and it was over with. It took time as he dealt with the woman at the well, as he shared with her, as she responded and dialogued with her, as she went back to her own community and then they called Jesus back to the community and all of that is time consuming. And a lot of times, you know, the, the ministry that you and I are going to do, it is time consuming. A lot of times the people that you and I are going to impact, it may take years And decades of continual effort and work um, in their lives. And we we have to keep mindful of that. Um, So we need to to give that time to outsiders um, for the questions that they have. And then as they approached uh, the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he we went in to stay with him. Now, it's interesting. Jesus has these people so that they really want more dialogue. They want more discussion. They want to know more. He's gotten them to that place, but he doesn't push them even then. He makes sure that it is their invitation that they want it instead of him pushing it on them as a salesman. And he gives them the opportunity, he says, no, I want to go on. And he makes sure that they ask him to, no, you stay here with us. And then they prepare a meal and they have a common meal together. Uh, they sit down and, and as they're sharing, all of a sudden in the breaking of the bread not communion, but in just in the breaking of bread at a common meal, they recognized Jesus from the many times Jesus had broke bread before and the Holy Spirit just opened their eyes so they could see and all of a sudden he was gone. He disappeared from their sight and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I want you to notice there you and I, you know, we can't do anything in ourselves to cause any spiritual work in someone else. That is always wholly completely the work of the Holy Spirit. We just work along beside We offer ourselves and we do what we can. But Jesus waited for the Holy Spirit to break through and for the Holy Spirit to open up their eyes and for them to recognize him. He opened up the scriptures, he opened up their eyes, and he opened up their understanding. So it's through these things that Jesus is able to impact these two people as they're leaving Jerusalem. And he could have been involved with any number of people there at Jerusalem. But he cared about those two people going home to a mass. And he did it by taking a long walk that maybe I wouldn't have chosen to take. He did it by sharing a meal with people, um, stopping and sharing a meal. Um, he got engaged in what they were doing and the conversation that they were having and one of the neat things that flows out of this passage is you understand that a good Bible knowledge never creates a big head. It creates a burning heart. If you and I are really in the word of God, the end result should never be that you and I can lord over other people what we know. If the Bible's really making a difference in our life, it's not up here. It's always in here. It gives us a burning heart. And we know God is at work in us and that God is wanting to use us with other with other people. So they get up. They've, been, they've walked all the way to Keed. They have a meal. And then Jesus disappears and they realize he is alive. And it's real. And what do they do? They don't spend the night. They get up and walk all the way back to Johnson Corners. <laughs> Because they want to tell people there, it's true, Jesus is alive. And so as they do that, uh, and while they were with Jesus, they figure out that Jesus had also appeared to Simon already. And so they announced that, and they told what had happened on the way and how Jesus had, had been recognized by them when he broke the bread. So this morning, as, as we close the service, I just want to say that God wants to use each one of us. But it's not, God doesn't want us to be salesmen. He wants us just to get engaged in the lives of other people, where they are, and in the conversations they're already having. And if he can use us to open up the scriptures in a a little different view, if we can be that listening ear to listen to their story and to their experiences, sometimes with us that are negative, or with the church, or with Jesus himself and how maybe one time they had all these they had a relationship with Jesus and and they were pretty excited about Jesus but then he disappointed them. He didn't he wasn't the Jesus they thought he was. And sometimes we God just wants to use us to be that listening ear to hear people share their story so that they can come back to faith in Christ.